0: Amen. As followers of Jesus Christ, that should be our tune. We should sing forever of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. We should be joyful people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last uh, February or so, I was helping coach Little League Baseball with my brother in law and, and a couple others. And Uh, We were at tryouts, and we were observing and and, and looking at all the players, and who do we want on our team, and taking notes, and these are 10-year-old little boys, by the way, and uh, one of the coaches on the other team that was also at this tryout came up to me, and he goes, hey, I go, yeah, he goes, you're either on drugs or you're a Christian. (laughs) He's like, you're way too happy. And so then I punched him, and that was the end of that story. Uh, No, I said, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. He's changed my life. How can I not be joyful about that? Anything good you see in me is Jesus. Anything that you see that you don't like in me, well, that's me. But Jesus is what gives me and gives us joy. Joy. There's an obstacle, though, to living in that joy every day, and that is fear. And as Eric touched on, each of these Sundays of Advent, we're talking about giving up something at Christmas and then leaning into a virtue of Christ. Today, it's giving up fear this Christmas and clinging to Jesus for joy. My prayers and my 20 minutes or so with you is that you'll completely let go of all your fears and walk out of here completely joyful, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's a process. The Spirit of God, though, is working in each of us. And I pray that your journey of giving up fear, clinging to Jesus for joy, will continue here today. And so with that in mind, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to hone in on the story of the shepherds. A story that many of you have heard before. You're going to hear a few new insights today as we look at giving up fear, cleaning, looking, celebrating the joy that we have in Jesus. Luke chapter 2, dive a couple verses in to verse 8. Let me have the privilege to read God's word to you. I count this as a privilege. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says this. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as it had been told them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so as we look at this first Christmas, now a couple thousand Christmases later, the truth of this passage is still true for us here today. As we see the shepherds transformed from giving up fear to embracing joy. Look at verse 9 a little bit more carefully here of chapter 2 of Luke. It says, An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. You get what's happening here. An angel of the Lord standing before these shepherds, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. I think that's an understatement, that idea of being terribly frightened. They were probably physically having a reaction to having this angel standing in front of them. They probably, most likely, physically were shaking. They were so afraid that they they couldn't even get any words out of their mouth. They probably were covering themselves to protect themselves from from being struck down. I'm picturing in my own mind one of those roly-poly bugs that when you're a kid, you touch and they fold into a ball. I mean, the shepherds here are terrified. They think they're going to die. Can you relate? Have you ever been in a situation... Where you literally were shaking physically. You couldn't get any words out. You were cowered in fear. We live in a world, a culture of fear. I don't have to convince anyone of of us of that. We we know it. We have our own fears. Google actually uh, did a little research on the most searched for phobias in 2018 so far. Which is a little side note. You know Google is tracking and recording every single thing that you search, okay? And so, so far in 2018, according to their research, the most searched for phobias by state include the fear of spiders in Washington and Oregon. So I don't know what's happened, if you ever lived in Washington or Oregon, but there must be a lot of spiders up there. It's the most searched for phobia. Um, Let's see, over here in Arkansas, it's the fear of thunder, If you've ever been in the South in August, maybe you understand why that would be a searched for phobia. A couple other states, it's the fear of needles. How many of you have the fear of needles? Can I get some brothers and sisters to agree with me? Amen. I had three shots on Tuesday as I prepared to go to Africa in January. And you guys, I was trying to be so tough. But I know that the little nurse's assistant was reading me like a book when she's like, next, I'm like, thank you, my voice was cracking, and I <laughs> got through it, passed out twice, but um, <laughs> interestingly, in California, you know what the most searched for phobia is so far in 2018, I don't know, I didn't identify with this, maybe you do, but it's the fear of success, interesting, huh, anyway, in Texas, they couldn't come up with one, because there's so many phobias that are searched for in Texas, so it's just the fear of everything. <laughs> That's what they put on there. So if you move to Texas, just everyone's scared. Be careful. Reminds me of um, what every preschooler in the world is fearful of. and that is the Mall Santa. <laughs> every preschooler has to go through this weird rite of passage in our country where their parents drag them to go see Santa, and they have reactions like this. I mean, why are we doing this in 2018 to our poor little kids? I mean, this just seems brutal, that they have to be subjected to this in their lives. Why? Let's stop this. Any of you that are having new kids, stop. Let's end the mall Santa. I mean, look at this poor little girl. This is terrible. Just crying out for anyone to rescue her. We live in a fearful world It really, it it starts back in the beginning of the Bible, doesn't it? Genesis chapter 3 Adam and Eve eat from the one tree they're not supposed to eat from They do their own thing rather than God's thing And then they go in their sin and hide in shame and fear from God Right there in Genesis 3, our biggest fear is sinful people facing a holy God. And we hide in that. And ever since Genesis 3, we've just lived as people, humanity, in fear. Part of that has to do with the fact that there's a lack of good shepherds. Ezekiel 34 talks about that... I look over the entire nation of Israel and there's no shepherds. There's no shepherds that are looking after the flock like they should. And so the sheep walk in fear. In the life of Luke 2 shepherds, they lived in a fearful world. Thinking through Luke 2 and what they experienced, I also think of King David. King David was a shepherd, if you remember And in the book of 1 Samuel, they talk about David being the youngest son of Jesse. And therefore, he was the one that was selected to go care for the sheep out in the field. So this was often a job that was given to the youngest boy in a family. Not much bigger than the sheep that he was tending. David talks about in 1 Samuel 17... As he gets prepared to to fight the mighty giant Goliath, David says this Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or bear came and took the lamb from the flock. And I went out out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I, (laughs) listen to this, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the lion. And the bear. What a warrior. David being a boy, tending after sheep, killing lions and bears. Oh my. (laughs) This was the world of the Luke 2 shepherds. They had to face the real threat of animals attacking their flock. They also experienced at night the threat of being attacked by robbers. That could happen to them at any point. Sheep stealers, if, if you will. And Luke 2 shepherds didn't have the greatest reputation, not only them, but really all shepherds in Israel. They were known as people who would lead their sheep through other people's pastures. And landowners and farmers would be upset at the shepherds who would take their sheep through their land and eat their crops and trample their ground. In fact, in the first century, research tells us that the testimony of a shepherd was not admissible in court. So a shepherd didn't have a great reputation. A shepherd here in Luke 2 lived in constant fear. And then, oh, by the way, the glory of God shows up. And they're terrified They're terrified at what they're seeing here. I mean, we've read this passage. If you've been around church ever, you've heard Luke 2 read several times. If you've ever watched Charlie Brown Christmas, you've read it or heard it there. But I want us to understand how shocking this would be for the glory of God to appear, for an angel appear to these lowly, fearful shepherds. In our context, it would be like this is a scene from the 1996 original Independence Day. And in this scene, the alien ship shows up over New York. And the people just literally don't know what to do. They're just frozen as they look up to the skies. This is the equivalent of what the shepherds experienced on this night here in Luke 2. The heavens came down. The glory of God shone around. You know, we get glimpses of what heaven looks like in Revelation 19.1, reread these words. And after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory. And the Greek words doxa there. And power belong to our God. So this is happening in eternity past, and the present, and even in eternity future. This is the reality of heaven, and heaven came down in this moment. The glory of God shone around to these lowly shepherds in fields, tending to their sheep, and they were struck with fear. But I'm curious, trying to look at the humanity of these guys and not just read them on a piece of paper, what changed in their lives? Because look at verse 20 again. In verse 20 now we read in Luke 2 that the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as has been told them. So they went from verse 9 from being terribly frightened to verse 20 glorifying and praising God. If you think about it, they were our first Christmas worship leaders. Before Amy Grant, before Bean Crosby... Before Josh Groban, before Spotify or Pandora, we had these shepherds singing the first songs of Christmas as they glorified and praised God. At this moment in verse 20, they're probably understanding that they're joining the chorus of heaven. That they, being terribly frightened, have been transformed to now worship like the heavens worship. C.S. Lewis says it so well when he says, joy is the serious business of heaven. If I can insert the word worship in there, joyful worship is the serious business of heaven. And here are these shepherds. They're the first Bethlehem missionaries. Which, by the way, we could still send more missionaries to Bethlehem. If you're interested, let's talk. They were the first ones as they went back to their flocks and to their people. Look at verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds could not help but joyfully praise God for what they had seen. They were transformed from being fearful to living in joy. And so the big question for this morning is what caused that transformation? How could they, in verse 9, be afraid? Verse 20, just a few hours or a day later, be joyful worshipers, these first missionaries. Luke 10 gives us, really, the the clue, the truth. It says, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. If you ever experienced a white elephant gift exchange? You know the idea is this, right? You get a dud gift or a goofy gift, and your idea is to somehow trade it for cash or a Starbucks gift card or whatever the best thing is at that white elephant gift exchange. Well, the shepherds hit a home run in the white elephant gift exchange, exchanging fear for joy, I have good news of great joy. Verse 11. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This Savior was for all people, verse 10 says. Think about the shepherds, the lowly ones. The ones with not a great reputation. The one who if they went to court, they would go, oh, get somebody better. These shepherds who were subject to attacks by animals and people. These shepherds who got gratefully passed down from boy to boy in their family. Finally, it was to the littlest one, okay, you're the least of us. You go take care of the sheep. Jesus came for the shepherds. Jesus came for the rich. Jesus came for the poor. Jesus came for the educated. Jesus came for the uneducated. Jesus came for the Jews. Jesus came for the Gentiles. Jesus came for the urban dwellers. Jesus came for the mountain keepers. Jesus came for you and for me. That is true today. You guys, December 16th, 2018, that's still true. The Savior has come for us. Do you live in that joy He came for all people. The shepherds understood it. Changed them from being fearful to being joyful. 13 and 14, we have this incredible scene that happens. The multitude show up of angels. Verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. This word multitude is probably better translated armies. The Jewish people were waiting for liberation from the Roman government, the oppressive Roman government. It was one of the saddest times to live, really, in human history. You think we have it tough in 2018 with wars and famine and strife and political parties who don't get along. Back here in the first century, you've seen nothing. It was a brutal time to be alive. There was tension in every square and city and neighborhood as people hated each other. There was oppression everywhere. There was sexual sin that was running rampant, and I would even say it would make Vegas blush. And this is where the shepherds lived. This is when Jesus came. He came to proclaim peace. And this army of angels, not here to throw over the Roman government, but this army of angels to proclaim this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The shepherds were the first ones to receive this angel army and the good news that they had. And it changed them. It changed them from fear to joy. And ultimately, they were changed not just by an army, not just by the news of the angel, but they were changed when they came face to face with Jesus verse 16 imagine this so they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger i know we've heard this many times jesus really came into our world and he really came in the form of a little baby a helpless babe Jesus humbled himself, not only to go to the cross, but also to come into our world in the lowest of human forms. And the shepherds got to gaze on Jesus here on this first Christmas, laying in the manger, helpless, but the hopeful one. And it completely changed them. When were you changed by Jesus? Have you had a face-to-face interaction with Jesus? Maybe not physically, maybe not Jesus appeared to you, maybe not visited Jesus like this, but Jesus has come to you and the reality and truth of Jesus has been made real to you and by faith you've placed your trust in him to be the savior, the forgiver of your sins, the Lord, the leader of your life. When did that happen for you? I know there's some in here Who that hasn't happened for yet. If you were to be asked today, do you know Jesus? You would say, well, what do you mean? Do you know, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you confident that your sins are forgiven once and for all? I don't know. I mean, I try to live the best way I can live. I'm here, aren't I? (laughs) Let today be the day you trust Jesus. To be the savior, the leader, the Lord of your life, the forgiver of your sins, not just for today, but for eternity. That can happen today. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But I want to take a bit of a detour, and I want us to think through the idea of happiness and then compare it to what biblical joy is, because there is a little bit of a difference. Charlie Brown says it so well. I think I'm afraid to be happy because when I get too happy, something, always bad hap- something bad always happens. Don't you feel like that? Marie and I talk about that. My wife Marie and I are like, man, life is going well right now. When's something bad going to happen? You know? Part of its human nature, we observe that, yeah, hard things happen. It rains on the righteous and unrighteous alike, Job says. But I want us to understand that happiness and joy are different. Now, happiness can be a subset of joy, but joy goes much deeper than happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. It's based on, did you have a good day today? Yes, therefore I'm happy. Does your spouse treat you how you want to be treated? Yes, therefore this marriage is a happy one. Did the Rams win today? Yes, therefore I am happy. Happiness is based on circumstances. And circumstances change from day to day. Joy is rooted in something much deeper. In fact, James says something really startling. In James chapter 1, we read that actually joy can be found not just when things go well for us, but actually when things are really difficult. James chapter 1, verse 2 for 4 says this, "'Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance.'" And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, joy goes beyond circumstances. Joy actually, if I can say it, thrives when things are hard, because in those moments we cling to Jesus. There is a region of the world that I've just read about, and It's in uh, Peru. And it's this little spot that it's sunny 365 days a year. And I've read that. I've never been there, but I've read that in the morning, the sun comes over the eastern mountains, and it's majestic. The sun is over this region all day, and then at night, the sunsets in this place are incredible. They would be, if I could make up a term, Instagrammable. (laughs) It's just a... Sun-filled place. Every day it's sunny here. And you'd expect this to be paradise. You'd expect this little spot in Peru to be beautiful. But instead, it's barren. And nothing grows there. Because life isn't meant to always be sunny. Our best, as James says, growth happens when life is difficult. And that's when we can find true Christian joy. This Christmas, you may have things that are not according to your script of how you wanted or hoped things would be this Christmas. And it would be easy to say, well, I'm just not happy. This isn't a joyful season for me. And yet Christian joy goes so much deeper than what's happening in our lives. This is Sierra Sidewinder. It's a ride at Knott's Berry Farm. My son, uh, one of my sons, Seth, who is in first grade and I, got in line for this ride a couple Fridays ago. And Seth and I were talking really big about Sierra Sidewinder in the parking lot. We were talking really brave as we walked up to the ride, like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to conquer this ride. No problem. And then we started going through the cattle crawls of, of Knott's Berry Farms line. And we started getting closer and they allow you to actually, in this line, be over or under the, the ride, and you can see it fly past you, and the wind almost knocks you over. And suddenly, Seth, first grade, just starts kind of holding on to my leg. <laughs> and he starts holding on tighter. And he's getting a little taller. It's kind of awkward. And so I'm just kind of like going like this. <laughs> he's like leaning, literally holding on to me. And we're starting to go up the stairs, and I'm like, buddy, it's Okay. We can do this. We're going to do this together. Sierra Sidewinder, you and I, let's do this. We got this. We're going to dominate it. He's like, okay. And we get up to the platform, and it's the part where they start saying, how many in your party? Three, four, two, one? That's strange. Oh, two, okay. Um, and he's holding on to me tighter and tighter, like tight as he can get. I'm like, we can do this. We can do this. Come on. I'm happy to say that Seth dominated Sierra Sidewinder. <laughs> as much as you can dominate something when you're strapped in and letting it go for you. But But there was something as like a father that was beautiful in that moment for me. Seth may have been kind of ashamed, like, oh, in my fear, I'm, I'm showing my weakness by holding on to my dad. But in my moment, that was the best part of the day, was having my son cling to me. There was an intimate moment where Buddy, we got this. We're in this together. I wonder if that is how the Lord looks at us and our fears. We're always going to have fears. You're not going to walk out of here today and be like, well, fear's off my list. There's always going to be something else. But in those moments, can we cling to God? Can Jesus be our Savior where we hold on to Him and say, help me, I need you, be my savior, give me a deep and profound, not happiness, give me joy in being near you. That's our prayer. We've experienced something in the life of our church this week, you may not be aware of, but there was a tragedy that happened to one of our worship leaders here, Josh Wathan. Josh has had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows all in the last two weeks, but Josh married Hannah she's beautiful, and they had this beautiful wedding at the uh, Orange Women's Club uh, off of uh, Orange Circle a couple weeks ago, and here's a picture of them, I don't know if you can see it, uh, on their wedding day, and Josh looked great, Hannah looked great, the family looked great, it was wonderful, and then this last Monday, Josh and Hannah on their honeymoon, they were on a cruise, got a phone call that Josh's dad in this picture had suddenly died, this is just a couple weeks ago here in Orange and they get this phone call on the cruise ship that your dad's gone to be with Jesus. Highest of highs in their lives and the, the lowest of lows. Josh and Hannah got off the cruise ship and jumped on a plane and, and they had the service, memorial service, yesterday in Quincy, Illinois. And I want you just to just invite you, Josh. Today was going to be the day that he was going to be back here. We are going to celebrate. Like, you're married. He's going to lead us in worship, but instead he's wrapped his arms around his grieving family and grieving himself. But Josh will be back here on this platform leading us in worship. How can he possibly do that? How can he possibly stand up here and with any integrity lead us in worship himself? Well, it's because of the truth. That joy isn't based on our circumstance, but it's based on a person. It's based on a person who was God, and that's Jesus Christ. Josh can proclaim that today and for the rest of his life as he clings to Jesus Christ. Sam Storms wrote this, Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. Some of you need to write that down right now and slap it on your mirror this week. Jesus is present to you in anything that we go through. Whether it's the highs of Christmas morning, I got a bike! (laughs) To it's the lows of Christmas Eve, I haven't gotten my spouse a present. (laughs) Jesus is with us. Hebrews 12:2 is a wonderful, wonderful truth. It says this in Hebrews 12:2: "Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." You know what made Jesus joyful? was going to the cross and shedding his blood, not for anything that he had done, but what for you and I had done. The Luke 2 shepherds, there's a theory about them. There's a theory that the Luke 2 shepherds were taking care of sheep, but these weren't just ordinary sheep. There's a theory that these Luke 2 shepherds were taking care of the sheep, that would eventually make their way to the temple to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. That they were caring for special sheep. Sheep that would be led to the slaughter to atone for the sins of a nation. It's a theory about these Luke 2 shepherds. With that in mind, it's interesting that the angel and the multitude, army of angels would appear to these shepherds And say there's one that's to come. Because Jesus, as Isaiah 53 says, went to the cross. Went and shed his blood for our sins. And because of what Jesus has done, we can be made new, fresh, and clean, forgiven forever. That's the deep, deep joy that we have in our Savior so here's what I want us to do to respond one is we're going to have communion available throughout the room and during our next two songs of worship I invite you to get up and partake in the communion the bread and the juice remembering that Jesus really did what was said he was going to do going to the cross dying on the cross but oh wait and then rising again (laughs) conquering death overcoming sin The tables are to remind you of that. There's also going to be people up on both sides of the platform that would love to pray. If you would love someone to pray with you and go, I need the deep, deep joy that comes in knowing Jesus. I invite you to grab someone and pray with them here today. And if you're not a believer in Christ, I'm going to ask you to simply pray with me this prayer. So let's all pray together now. Heavenly Father, I know that I can't do this on my own. I can't clean up my own life, my own act on my own. God, I've been searching for happiness, and I just can't find what I'm wanting and and needing. In this moment, I acknowledge that you, Jesus, came into this world. You lived the life that I couldn't live. You died for my sins on the cross. You rose again, and I believe that you've conquered death and overcome sin. And I invite you into my life right now. By faith, forgive me of my sins. Make me new. Make me your child. Thank you, God, that you've overcome fear. You've overcome sin. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.